please rise in body or spirit for the reading of the gospel. Hear these words from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When, he was gone, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm so glad to be here today. I was so glad for the invitation from Charlene to speak from this pulpit, which I'm just keeping warm until our senior pastor, Kendall Rothis, returns. Um, I'm glad to have the opportunity to share with you some thoughts and some words. But first, I need your help. Turn to the person next to you and say to them, congratulations, you made it to church. Amen. Now, y'all just engaged in some low-key evangelism for the liturgically-minded Baptist. Right? As Bishop Michael Curry in the Episcopal Church says, evangelism is telling somebody something good. And you just did that. So, what are my, why am I up here? What are my credentials? I have not studied the scriptures in an academic context. I'm not a religious studies scholar. I am uh, not a student of Greek or Hebrew, but I am a sinner saved by grace. I was baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and I was sealed at my baptism in the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. So those are my credentials. So, my professional work is, I'm an English professor at Baylor. My particular area of study is rhetoric. So, I have a dear friend named Trish Roberts Miller, who is a professor of rhetoric at UT Austin, just down the road from here, a road that got a little harder to travel uh, over the last uh, few weeks as they're working on 35. But Trish, when she's asked, what does it mean to study rhetoric? She makes the comment that I study train wrecks in public deliberation. <laughs> so when things have gone wrong. Now, when I hear that instruction from her, I often think about a hymn or an old song that tells of a train and of the train that will not be wrecked. And that is the Jesus train, right? People get ready. There's a train a coming. You don't need no ticket. You just get on board. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. Right? 
Now, that's a train that won't be wrecked. You just get on board. Jesus is the train in which we live and move and have our being, and he moves us, and we move by his power, right? It's not our own power, but the power of the gospel that sends us forth, that moves us and will not be stopped. Now, when I think about this particular gospel and how to talk about it, I approach it, surprise, surprise, from a literary perspective. And by that I mean, I think about what comes immediately before and immediately after. So immediately before this scene, Jesus has revealed who is going to betray him, and it is Judas, right? He has dipped the bread in the wine and handed it to Judas, and as the scripture says, he went out into the night. And that's where our gospel reading picks up. Now, given what's just happened, you might think, well, Jesus has just identified his betrayer. He has let folks know what's going to happen. And you might think, now we're going to have some Judas hate time, right? We're going to have some criticism, some unkindness, some snark, some shade. But no, no, Jesus doesn't stop to engage in criticism. Jesus moves forward. He gives instruction. He tells us what we are to do now and in the days to come. And he says, you are to love one another. What happens immediately after this? Gospel reading. Peter, good old Peter. Peter is told that, by Jesus that you will deny me three times. So it's not just those who were faithful. It's not just those who were unfaithful who betrayed Jesus. It is those who are faithful to the end but stumble and fall along the way. Right? But he doesn't sort of like dwell on, Jesus does not dwell on Peter's failing. He just lets you know it's going to happen. But you can get back on board the train by loving one another. Now, Peter... In, a, in, a, in Acts, in, there's a, in the lectionary sequence of scripture readings, there is a story today where Peter tells a sermon of a grand vision that he heard, that he saw, and he talks about, let nothing the Lord has made be called unclean, right? He talks about how divisions will go away, Divisions will fall because we are called by a Lord who makes us bigger and better and greater than ourselves could ever be on our own. But even this Peter, he falls. He stumbles and falls. There's an old song that says, maybe you can't preach like Peter. And if you cannot preach like, and if you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus who came to save us all. So even as we stumble and fall, even as we faithful, all faithful will stumble and fall. But there is a way forward, and that is to get back on board the Jesus train and love one another. Now, the way of love is hard, and it was made for hard times. When Jesus gave this instruction, he was in the midst of a betrayal that was ongoing, right? This wasn't easy. This was not easy times. It was hard times, but still he said, love one another. Now, he calls it a new commandment, but I'm sure that there are some 
Older Testament scholars in the room who might think this sounds really familiar In fact, it might not be so new It might be very old. It might be Jesus reiterating restating amplifying a message from the older testaments from Leviticus from other places that speak of loving your neighbor as yourself There's a sort of theme here throughout the whole of the gospel and the whole of scriptures Now, I didn't grow up in church. The earliest point of contact I can remember with church came when I was four years old, and it was through a program called Mother's Day Out. And it was held at First Baptist Church in Colorado City, Texas. That's how Texans say that. Colorado City, Texas, at 301 Chestnut Street. Such a program title leverages both a gender ideology that configured childcare as women's work and the material reality that much caring labor is done by women on whom gendered expectations are placed. Setting aside the fact that both mama and daddy were both out working every day, I will simply say that the program provided space for little ones like me to play. In February 1990, the group I was a part of wrote a President's Day letter to George H.W. Bush. Each of us four- and five-year-olds contributed a question, and the local newspaper, the Big Spring Herald, published our listicle epistle. The topics ranged broadly, Bush's church attendance, his belief in God, how he liked his job, the quality of his government housing, out of 14 questions, eight related to the topic of children, five asking about Bush's own children. However, there were three in our bunch who had a clear sense of social concern in connection with children. One asked, what about homeless kids? Why do kids sleep on the street? What about poor children, crying children? If they are hurt, where do they go? I'm pretty sure these were the much more mature five-year-olds. That extra year makes all the difference. My question would seem less about politics or religion and more about, surprise, surprise, aesthetics. Mr. President, I asked, Mr. President, do you like flowers? <laughs> Given that my parents were not fans of the Bush administration, I hoped to build on some potential point of connection between my family and him. My maternal grandmother was an extraordinary gardener who could always grow the most gorgeous flowers. And my maternal grandfather was an accomplished nature photographer who could capture the most exquisite flower pictures. They both dedicated themselves to cultivating, capturing, and sharing beauty, especially flowers. So I just knew that if President Bush liked flowers, we could all find a way forward. <laughs> now, in the intervening three decades since 1990, my faith in flowers has been surely and sorely tested. <laughs> I find myself thinking of the Pete Seeger song, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? 
long time ago. Where have all the flowers gone? Girls have picked them all, every one. When will they ever learn? Where have all the graveyards gone? Covered with flowers, every one. When will we ever learn? But maybe it's just winter. Maybe when it seems like there are no flowers, maybe it's just time for seeds to gather their strength and power. Uh, Jim, last week, talked to us about how important and beautiful things can happen in wintertime, can't they? Isn't that right, Jim? So, beautiful and important things can happen in the winter when maybe we can't see the flowers. There's a beautiful Easter hymn that speaks of when our hearts are wintry, grieving or in pain, Jesus' touch can call us back to life again. Fields of our hearts that dead and bare have been, love is come again like wheat that springeth green. Oh, that Jesus love. But maybe, maybe you cannot see the flowers and maybe you don't feel like the train is moving. I need you to do something else for me. I need your help again. If you've got them, look at your shoes. Look at your shoes, if you've got them. <laughs> maybe they're shining. Maybe they're all scuffed up. Maybe they got holes in the soles that mirror the hole that sometimes you feel in your own soul. Maybe they're sandals. Maybe they're high heels. Whatever kind of shoes you're wearing, take a look at them for a second. Now maybe you can't feel the train moving. Maybe you can't see the flowers growing. But you've got shoes here in this world right now. And you've got shoes in that kingdom. Ain't that good news? It's good news when John, in his gospel today, talks about glorification. Glorification in John always points to and is anticipation of the cross. The cross is the way, the symbol, the sign that points to the way of love, the hard way of love. And you might be thinking right now, oh Lord, not another white man talking about how sweet by and by in heaven justifies and accommodates us to pain and suffering in this world right now, in the here and now. No, no, no. This is not about your reward in the hereafter, although that is coming, don't get me wrong. All of you, I'm sure, have many stars in your crown. I have a diadem, I'm sure. This message is for you. It's not about in the hereafter, but in the here and now. This message is for those of you gathered here at Lakeshore Baptist Church at 5801 Bishop Drive on this May the 19th, 2019. And that message is that the way of love, the way of the cross, is a way that breaks down barriers, erases purity codes that divide, removes customs that shore up the power of some and casts away conventions that keep others out. The way of love is hard, but it is good, and the Lord is faithful. Now, the way of love, the way of the cross, is for PhDs and no degrees. 
It's for MAs and castaways. Whether you've got an MDiv or nothing left to give. And talk to some folks in ministry, those are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> the way of love is the way for all of us. It is hard, it's not about a gentility. I know in the South we're good on gentility. We're good on politeness and that's not the same as love. But it is hard and it is good. The late peace activist Daniel Berrigan spoke about how the antidote to hopelessness is doing hopeful things. Right now, right here, in this place, in this space, I am doing the most hopeful thing I believe I can do, and that is sharing with you the love of God in Jesus Christ. The way of love is hopeful. My dear friend, Debbie Layton, she, three years ago, was preparing to die very suddenly. She got very sick and she was on hospice care very quickly after she got a diagnosis. And she was meeting with the priest who would deliver her funeral sermon. And she told him something that has stayed with me and never left. She said, don't make a big deal about me. Just tell them the love of Jesus. Just tell them the love of Jesus. Don't make a big deal about me. Now, I do believe that our work as gospel ministers is important. Each of our lives is important. Our presence in this place, in this world, is important and we have serious work to do. We should take the work and the call and the ministry seriously, but never take ourselves too seriously. Like Debbie said, just tell them the love of Jesus. Because if you cannot preach like Peter and you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus who came to save us all. And if you've got that hole in your soul that you feel sometimes, just remember, there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Y'all are so good at that. God bless you and thank you. Done for me.